Hi there and welcome to another Perpetual Outsider Commentary. Uh, my name is John Bensalia, thanks for listening in. Uh, today we are looking at the Fifth Doctor story, Black Orchid, which first went out in March 1982. So without further ado, let's gear up the, uh, the shiny disc, the DVD or the Blu-ray, depending on your choice, and count down in five, four, three, two, one. Yay! Begins on time. I love these titles. Love the music. Here we go. Disembodied Peter Davison head, which, as he always says in the commentaries, looks like he's been goosed. So, Black Orchid. One of those Doctor Who stories that I can remember quite well from when it first went out. It would have been seven and a half coming up to... Um, in March 1982, um, yeah, not one of my favourites, I've got to say. It's just a little bit inconsequential, but you never know, I might find more to enjoy this time around, I don't know, maybe older, less wiser, I don't know. Really, it is what it is, it's just a little bit of downtime, it's a little bit of filler before the big trials of Earthshock. No more, no less. It's just a shame that some of that downtime is just a little bit kind of twee and a little bit forgettable. But wow, he he tied he tied himself up pretty quickly, didn't he? Or that guy with the lip suddenly tied up. I don't know. So we're in nineteen twenties. I think it's nineteen twenty five. I think that's a scene from uh, that's a bit of stock footage from a, a TV a TV program. It used to be called. Uh, it was called God's Wonderful Railway, I think it was. They just managed to mix that in. It was it was kind of like went out in the same same. I think a little bit before. I think the previous autumn. I think um, on Children's BBC. So here we are with the uh, the Fifth Doctor, Peter Davison. Um, yeah, well, actually one of my one of my favourite Doctors. I, you know, I, I really like. Davison brought to the role, but I think he was not that well served by the occasional script, and I think this is one of them, you know, either the Doctor's act, acting out of character, or he's just kind of locked up a lot, and of course we've got too many companions in the TARDIS, um, we've got Tegan, we've got uh, Nissa, we've got Adric, and by chance, we're going to find out that Nissa's got a double, the exact spit of Sarah Sutton. What are the chances? But Tegan is un uncharacteristically chipper in this one. Whereas normally she, you know, she kind of moans a lot about, oh God, no, not another adventure. Very crisp location film, though. It's uh, been spruced up for the DVD and probably for a Blu-ray. It is a very silly activity, Trains. Especially when you um, think about how, you know, how poor the current train services actually are, because they are, as the doctor says, really on time. That's a terrible joke. I mean, this guy just suddenly um, assumes that the doctor and uh, the doctor and his companions are the ones that he's been sent to collect. Timothy Block, who's the brother of Giles Block, who's in Dominators, is Teal.
Of course, the downside of this is it's meant to be a, a boiling hot June day, but they're filming this in uh, on a rainy October day, so it doesn't really quite have it. Do, it doesn't really quite have that same kind of um, sunny punch. Although on a day like today, I'm actually recording this uh, the day after um, one one of the hottest days on record in the country. So actually, um, a bit of rain is actually quite welcome, even if it is just on the TV. And it's actually quite cloudy outside now, which is which is good. So the doctor and um, the doctor and co are en route to a cricket match. What are the odds? I mean, I I, I, I like all the uh, you know the old fashioned cars and you know the costumes. I mean, the nineteen twenties completely different to the twenty twenties. I assume the other government was probably a little bit better then. Uh, this is Michael Cochran, who uh, would be back in Ghostlight as Reverend Stan Cooper, but here he's playing a much more uh, easygoing role of uh, Cranley. Yeah, I mean, they don't. They the TARDIS team really don't like it on the commentary. I mean, they apart from Sarah Southern, they all lay into it with brutal efficiency. And I think one of the criticisms that Peter Davison had was it felt like Terence Studley had tried to pitch a murder mystery drama to the BBC, and when it was turned down, it got shoved back into the drawer. But when John John Nathan Turner Rule, you know Eric Sable were you know looking for new scripts. Terence Studley pitched this, you know, sort of added a few Doctor Whoish elements to it, and then rehashed it again. And yeah, and part of the problem is it's blatantly obvious, you know, who the killer is. It, it's it's the uh, the guy with the uh, with the very bad cold in the in the opening scene. So there's you know all the mystery is robbed really. But hey, what the hell? It gives Peter Davison the chance to play some cricket. You know, he's got a cricket outfit, so why not give him a chance to play some cricket? I've got to say, I cannot play cricket to save my life. Actually, I can't play any sports to save my life. I was one of those that was always kind of picked last for the team. Sports, no, just, just not my thing. Enchanting names. So this is Barbara Murray, I think, as uh, Madge, which is the most. <laughs> it's the it's the most. <laughs> um, it's the most unlikely name that you could have for you know somebody who's quite posh and well to do. It's she's just called Madge, and that's Murray Ma Watson. Yeah, these are perfectly good, good, capable actors who are left with eggs on their faces with rather overripe dialogue. It's, it's just none, none of the dialogue kind of really feels real. It's very kind of mannered and stilted and groaning at the seams with 1920s cliches. I can't say 20s cliches anymore because they'll get confused with, are we talking about 1920s or the 2020s? So, you know, it's uh, difficult to tell. <laughs> 
Ooh, nice crossfade. And a loadout shot as well. Ooh, Ron Jones is pushing the boat out here. Yeah, Ron Jones, the director, I, I suppose charitably, you could describe some of his early uh, work as workmanlike, really. There's, there's nothing really kind of interesting. There's no real kind of innovation or anything unusual. But having said that, there's another lowdown shot, which is... I'm only just noticing it for the first time. I've, I've, I've got, you know, I've got the contact lenses in today. Hey, bold someone out on camera. Here we are, the well-to-do mansion. Yeah, Peter Davison actually bowled somebody out on camera. You know, you know what a what a lucky shot to actually get that in the pan. Yeah, but it's it's all well designed and it you know it looks great, but there's there's no real kind of tension here. Which I think is part of the problem. But as I said, it's, it's just a bit of downtime. It's just a bit of relaxation. And it is the first. Oh, God. She just said Doctor Who. Oh, God. Mind you, I mean, there's, there's only one instance of this because, um, you know, of course, Stephen Moffat would use it kind of ad nauseum throughout his tenure. Yeah, there's, there's you know, it's, it's just a bit of fun downtime, but. Yeah, why? Yeah, this is this is at the point where they never change their costumes. So either the doctors managed to duplicate them, you know, maybe maybe he's managed to, you know, that's such a stupid line. <laughs> what do you do with a cocktail when you're bar? Figured out why. Yes, um, either the doctors got a secret machine on board the TARDIS that can replicate the tar their costumes, or they must really stink of that bio. They must do. It's all very kind of, you know, sort of cartoony and, you know, like, like superheroes never change their costumes. It's kind of like that. Oh, and there's Sarah Sutton again. Two Sarah Suttons for the price of one. You know, I, I think she does her best, I think, you know, as, as Anne. Uh, the fiance, but she's kind of hampered by a really stupid haircut, which looks like a, a whippy is having a crafty sleeve in her head. Or it's, and also the period dialogue is, is you know, she's got to grapple with that, you know, which is, which is not easy. Hmm. Yeah, not sure about that. Tegan can have a screwdriver, but the children can only have soft drinks. Uh, but hang on, I mean, Anne is supposed to be the exact spit of Nyssa, which... Yeah, let, let's not even go there. Let's not even go there. I, I don't think you meant to pick up on things like that. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bit odd. So that's the eponymous Black Orchid. I mean, it's actually nice to see Tegan smile and actually have a bit of fun and enjoy her time because normally she 
she doesn't really want to be there, which does beg the question why now she travels on board the uh, on board the TARDIS. Do I remember what? Yeah, I do remember watching this one uh, twice actually because um, it was repeated in at the end of August nineteen eighty three. And uh, I, I probably remember the repeat a little bit better because I've got a feeling I wrote. Um, I, I I tried to adapt it in a book, in an exercise book, you know, because by then I you know started borrowing books and uh, buying the books as well, you know, the adaptations for novels. Um, and I I tried to do my own version, complete the pictures. I think I remember drawing the um, the mast um, the mast harlequin, which you see at the end of part one. Um, Hovering over, uh, hovering over Anne, and I remember, I remember drawing that in a tatty old exercise book, which, alas, I think is, you know, not around. So I, I, I do remember it very well, you know, for, for that reason. Yes, yeah, it's, it's probably an adventure that you know I, I enjoyed more as a kid. I think part of the problem. You know, when when you get to be grown up, you get more cynical. You look at you look at not just Doctor Who, but other TV programs and the whole world through more cynical eyes. I think, and you can't get more cynical eyes than mine, even even if they can't see a damn thing about contact lenses. Yeah, I, I, I'd give anything to you know have a less cynical frame of mind, really. Especially when Tegan's about to do some really cringy Charleston dots. You know? <laughs> She's like that in Strictly Come Dancing. They always have not not that I'm not know much about Strictly Come Dancing because I hate Strictly Come Dancing with a passion. It has just destroyed Saturday Night TVs. We know it, but uh, she looks like one of those uh, one of those hapless celebrity contestants who's eliminated first because they're rubbish. Oh God, it's just so cringy. <laughs> How on earth did Sarah Sutton manage to do this with a straight face? It's just nobody, but nobody will be able to tell us apart. Topping. Uh, what? Okay, I wonder what she was going to do there. Yeah, she's got a mole. Um, yeah, I'm not really quite sure that they're going to go hunting for moles. I don't know. Oh, have you got a mole? So, unfortunately, Peter Davison is just left to kind of mooch around for from now until the end of this episode and then the beginning of the next episode. And he, he just, he, he, it's, it's no surprise really that he's not too fond of his story because he doesn't get a great deal to do. It's all, you know, it's, it's just mooching around corridors. And by this point, is starting to need a haircut. And I never really got JNT's kind of insistence on the, the big hair edict, which he insisted on. I'm, I'm not sure whether, you know, kind of followed up from Tom Baker and his, you know, great big curly hair. Um, but, you know, every, every doctor, well, actually, no, not every doctor, but Peter Davidson and Colin Baker, you know, certainly. There, there are many stories where they desperately need a haircut. <clears throat> oh, the uh, the intruder is on the loose, taking the Doctor's Harlequin costume. So here we are at the big party, the, the ball. 
as as the boats to be fair you know they, they're doing their level best you know they you know that, those are you know those are good costumes i'm not sure you know i, I think the most likely scenarios that they're stock costumes but maybe one or two are designed from scratch i love the way adric's still in <laughs> he insists on having his star on the uh his gold badge for mathematical excellence on uh, on his chosen costume pirate costume Amazingly, there's a. I'm not, I'm not sure if that's artificial sun, if that's created with you know kind of like lights and mirrors. I suspect it could be because it's about the heavens are about to open and it's about to shut down with rain and everybody's in period costumes. Oh, that's that's taking fate, isn't it? Why does my why do I always let my curiosity get the better of me? He says before the case of Androzani when it's his downfall. Of course, nowadays you could probably actually get two Sarah Suttons in the same shot. You know, you could you could just do some CGI trickery and Bob's your uncle. But of course, back then, um, nineteen eighty one, when they filmed this, they didn't have the technology to do so. So it was either split screens or doubles. <clears throat> Yeah, Adric's dancing is about as good as mine, actually. I, I, I can't dance to save my life. Can't play cricket, can't play sports, can't dance. Can't commentate, actually. But hey ho. Not sure of a reason. He, he, he just stuffs his face, doesn't he? You know, he just goes up to the buffet, he has first, you know, second helpings, third helpings, fourth helpings. Yeah, the guest cast, I don't, I haven't really seen much of the guest cast, but I do recognise the guy with the lips in an early episode of Only Fools and Horses. He was in the Cash and Curry episode, and his character was opposite um, the one played by Remy Settler, who was in The Hand of Fear, um, the Mr. Ram character. So I recognise him from that. But uh, Maury Watson, Maury Watson I've seen in... Uh, um, a couple of things he's been in you know, various genres over the years. I must confess, I've not seen Barbara Murray in anything else, actually. So what did you do at work today, Peter? Oh, I mooched around corridors in a very unflattering dressing gown. But these, aesthetically, Black Orchid is actually very good. I mean, the designs of this are great. Tony Burrow, again, coming up trumps with some good set design. He's actually done quite a good variety. He's done kind of like uh, neoclassical with the Keeper of Trapping. He's done futuristic with Fall to Doomsday. And now he's got um, bona fide period historical. He, he does it very well. And, no, it, yeah, it, it all looks very good. Apart from this obvious rain, uh, <laughs> look at look at the pavement. Look at that pavement. Oh God, Charleston! Oh dear. Oh, 
<laughs> That's really not good. kind of way it's it's quite nice to see the TARDIS team just actually relaxing you know because every episode they're always you know at peril you know as soon as they leave the TARDIS they're in danger or they're in trouble so it's actually nice when they when that doesn't happen when they just have a little bit of fun because sometimes traveling in the TARDIS should be fun it shouldn't always be about danger and horrors and monsters and aliens so it's, it's, I suppose, in, in a way, it's actually quite a refreshing take. <laughs> I, I, I can't see this happening in the 2020s. You know. The masked ball. I mean, it's the, uh, you know, these days, it's just... I, well, I don't know what you have. I mean, do you have clubbing these days, or...? Um, you know, they just, you know, you don't even have the iPod anymore. That's gone away, the dodo. So you just have... Somebody would just get the laptop out, or, you know, the iPad, and just, you know, go into a local streaming service and just, you know, pick up some horror by Ed Sheeran, no doubt. I don't even know what music's around anymore. I've I've officially entered old fart territory. Yeah, Roger Lim's music doesn't really kind of equate with the period setting. I mean, it's exactly the same kind of radiophonic workshop stuff that they use for the other stories, which is. It's, it sounds, you know, like it should be in the future rather than, you know, 1925. But like I said in the re uh, the Revelation of the Darks commentary, when, when he's teamed with the the right director, Roger Lim can produce some stunning work. But I suspect that music was not high on uh, Ron Jones's list of priorities, which is which is a shame, really. Here they are, still uh, dodging the rain. Do you know, I, th I think we're actually coming to the end of the episode. Even Adric can't believe it. Doctor's still mooching about. I suppose, you know, for Peter Davison, it must have been great news because he doesn't really get a lot of dialogue. You know, he's just uh, wandering around looking a bit bemused. Oh, he's found a body. His name's Digby. Unfortunately, I can I can never hear um, great song about thinking of blooming Mister Tumble, you know, because he always says that, or you know, Justin Fletcher, whatever he says, because every time he, um, you know, he does an activity, he goes that was great fun. For those of you who don't know who Justin Fletcher or Mister Tumble is, well, you're lucky. Well, he actually does look like um, Russell T Davis when he's playing off asleep. Oh, here we go. Nine-year-old me remembers this bit. Scribble, scribble in the exercise book. I think we're about to come onto a cliffhanger.
Here we go. Yes. Oh, is that Anne? Or is that Nissa? She gets double billing there. And second in the line of the credits as well. Well, that was, it was breezy, I suppose, for want of a better word, both in the weather and the script. I, I don't know. But yeah, like, it is what it is. I think a danger with being, you know, kind of like a Doctor Who reviewer, you know, somebody who reviews Doctor Who, is that you can take it too seriously. Um, and at the end of the day, it's Black Orchid is just a bit of fun. It's not really there to be kind of analysed or dissected in any kind of great detail. It's just a, it's just an in-between bit of filler. You know, as I said before, it is, it is what it is. It's just a, you know, bit of downtime, bit of fun. Which I suspect will be a little bit less fun in the, uh, in the next episode for, uh, for the Doctor and Co, because the mysterious intruder is, uh, is running amok. So join me then for the second and final part of Black Orchid. But for now, it's goodbye. Bye for now.